Have a seat. Hi, friends. How we doing? Good morning. Good morning in the parking lot. How we doing in the parking lot? Uh, well, the enthusiasm of those honks means pretty well, I guess. So it's nice to hear those beeps out there. Hey, before we get started in our series this morning, uh, the word art of Peter, living in the shadow of a hostile world, I just wanted to announce with thanksgiving uh, the generosity of this church body. We had an opportunity to give directly for a specific need in Tanzania, East Africa. And we ended up raising $4,808.50. I'm proud of you guys. That's really good. Uh, that's going to bless that work and those facilities. Those are going to bless a lot of people and a lot of good works that are going to bring glory to the to the name of the Lord, and so um, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by your generosity to that, and I'm really proud of you for that. Well, as we wrapped up last week, uh, we were looking at this doxology, which is a prayer that Peter uh, put together to kind of introduce uh, some of the themes of his epistle. So Peter's word art, word art talked a lot about a living hope and being born into an inheritance, into a family structure, an inheritance we can depend on because it's safe, kept by God himself, God who shields it. And then he goes on to say, he talks about some suffering, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Peter is giving us some keys here, uh, keys that we need to be able to survive the kind of suffering that we have to go through in this world, in this life. First key was the hope that we have. Hope is a real power. Hope is a fuel that we can use. Um, it's a living hope. It's focused on the future salvation, but it's a current reality, this hope that we experience, a, a current reality of power in our lives. And then second, knowing that our suffering is temporary, verse 6 because we know the trials are going to end, uh, we can bear up under the loads that come our way. Whether that is suffering that is self-induced, whether that is suffering uh, ju that just happens because of our environment, whether that is suffering because we bear the name of Christ. That's specifically the suffering that Peter is focusing on. And then we know that our suffering is not pointless, but it has a divine purpose. God knows just what to do with our brokenness, our hurts, our pain, our bad choices, our mistakes. He knows how to use that to, to accomplish good purposes, and that's a beautiful thought too. So in Jesus Christ, you can be in the midst of trials and still experience a faith that grows and a faith that it, it, it even produces joy in the midst of suffering. See, we all have brokenness in our lives. 
Um, and like I said, a lot of times it's because of our own bad choices or mistakes. The difference for us as a disciple of Jesus is when that love for Christ is real. We don't run and hide from our suffering. In Jesus Christ, we have a place to stand. In Jesus Christ, we have the ability to stare our demons down. We have the ability to resist evil, to resist temptation, to live holy and set-apart lives. And the power that we have is because of a living hope of salvation. It's a power because we know our, we have power because we know the suffering is temporary. We have power because we know that God the Father sees us and that he's using suffering redemptively. But now as we jump into our text this morning, uh, from starting in verse 13 of 1 Peter, Peter gives us a certain knowledge. We know that we can overcome in the trials that we have. But he doesn't just tell us things so that we can, you know, tape it on a three-by-five card on the fridge or crochet it to a pillow or... No, this is knowledge that is meant to be lived. It's knowledge that is supposed to be lived out in our real lives. So now Peter talks about what that power is. So the section today, 1 Peter 13 through uh, 21, Peter's talking about holiness. And uh, he'll talk about that more in his letter. So sometimes the word art that Peter gives us, it's these rich images, uh, metaphor, and we kind of take those images apart. But some of the, the word art that Peter has, it's also in the way he structures the letter. So last week, after the introduction, we talked about this doxology, which is a formalized prayer. So it's kind of an artistic way that, Jesus, uh, that Peter uses to put all of these words into poetry. And today, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21, is another kind of word art that Peter uses. It's a uh, and these are throughout the Bible. And I've talked about them a little bit. We learned about these in our podcast. Chiasms. 13 through 21 is a chiasm. So chiasm works different ways, but this one goes A, B, C, D, C, B, A. And we know the chiasms, that the thing that they have in the middle is kind of an amplified point. It's meant to draw our attention. You could even say it's the, the treasure in the middle. So if you have a Cadbury cream egg, it is that salted caramel middle surrounded by confection sugar and then surrounded by milk chocolate. I used to like those as a kid. Boy, I'm sure glad I outgrew that habit. Uh, a, B, C, D, C, B, A. So verse 13, the beginning of it goes with verse 21. The believer's hope B, uh, verse 13 and 20, uh, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then this reminder of prior sinful living on either end of this call for holiness. So here's another way I can just kind of, I put the verses together and I highlighted them so we could see it as well. So that blue kind of gives you an idea, then the green 
then the orange, the, the reminder of prior sinful living, and then to the very middle, the section on holiness, centered around those words, be holy because I am holy, the words of God himself. So one thing we know about chiasms is the author is leading us to this treasure in the middle. Certain words and phrases uh, that are, are central to his point. Uh, so the word art, in the word art of Peter, the treasure he's leading us to in this case, in this section, is the holiness of God. It's a call to embrace that holiness and live it in our lives. Not just to have knowledge of it but to let that be the reality that defines our lives. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, sober-minded, like you could say. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter knows that believers need to be intentional about our thinking. And our thinking comes down to the things that we focus on, the things that we pay attention to. Those are the things that we think about. And this is crucial because Peter knows that right, uh, right uh, behavior, uh, it follows, it comes from right thinking. If you have right thinking, right behavior is a result from that. If you have fuzzy thinking, if you're focusing on the wrong things, it does not produce the fruit of holiness in your life. So what does he mean by preparing your mind for action? I think he's talking about setting your will. It's an expression that literally means you are girding the loins of your mind. What, is the, what does it mean to gird the loins of your mind? That means whatever long flowing thing is there, you're taking it up and you don't want to be tripped up by it because you are focused and you have running or places to go and things to do. So that's kind of what he's calling us to do in our mind. We are stealing our mind. We are setting our mind. And then this idea of self-controlled. It's an idea of soberness of mind a mind that's not inebriated, a mind that's not bemuddled by drugs or alcohol, a mind that is unclouded. It's a mind that is spiritually alert. So what he's really talking about is, is a spiritually alert and attentive, focused mind. So self-controlled is contrasted with giving in to evil desires. A hope... A set hope is a hope that's focused, and our focus is called to be on what Jesus gives us. What does Jesus give us? What does Jesus give to us? He gives us grace. He gives us He gives us the possibility of a relationship with God. That is where our minds need to go. That is the thought that we need to have. So then in verse 21, Peter talks about the bedrock of our hope. We know we are right to hope in the work of Jesus. And we know we can trust in the work of Jesus because it is the work of God. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. 
so that your faith and hope are in God. We can trust Jesus because we see what God did with Jesus. God fulfilled power in Jesus' life. God would not be satisfied to let the sacrifice of Jesus go unanswered. And that kind of love, that kind of work of power, it raised Jesus from the dead. And our faith is based on that work of God. And again, this hope that we have, it's not an abstract feeling of optimism. I I have hope, you know. Somehow it's all going to work out, I guess. It'll all pan out in the end. It's not just vague and undefined like that. Our hope, it's a confident expectation of good accomplished on our behalf. A good outcome for you and me because it's based in God, on God and God's character. It's based on the work of God. That's why our hope is, in Peter's language, a living hope. That's why he says to set our hope on the grace that was given to us in Jesus Christ. We focus on the grace that Christ gives us, a faith and hope that are in God, i.e. the work of God to glorify Jesus and raise him from the dead. We know that God works that way because we see what he did in Jesus. So this is a hope that is alive. It's a hope that's focused. It's grounded in the acts of God. What Peter does here in 1 Peter, he's talking about a current hope that has a future outcome. It's a current reality, and it's a power to change our current circumstances. Hope is. And that current power is the strength that we need to be holy. It's the strength we need to be holy. How hard have you found it to be holy? Consistently holy. So it's very similar to language that Paul uses. You can tell, I mean, what's the common factor here? I don't know that these guys were hanging out. The common factor is the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to look at Paul's words from um, Titus. The, it, it, the thinking is along the exact same lines of what Peter is doing in 1 Peter. In Titus, Paul says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, Paul uses, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, a people who are eager to do what is good. That is the heart kind of surgery that Christ wants to perform in us, to give us an ability to live pure and holy lives. And Paul uses that word, a blessed hope. Peter says, a living hope, a hope that is set and focused. Really good. I like that. So the next part of Peter's chiasm, verse 13 and verse 20. 
Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus, or when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 13, verse 20 says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God's plan in Jesus is both a current reality and a future hope. Uh, some things have been revealed to us that have an occur- a current effect in our lives. But the fullness of what we have in Jesus, it won't be revealed until you're raised from the dead. You won't know it fully if it's real or not until you're raised from the dead and you face him again in judgment. And that is the revealing that is to come. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. A lamb without blemish or defect. So a couple things from these verses. What does it mean to be an obedient child? Mike used those very words in his prayer. To be childlike requires um, a level of humility, doesn't it? That we get egg on our face and we're not afraid to ask the questions. We're not afraid to go after the answers that we need. But because we are obedient children, we refuse to give in to the evil desires that we used to have before we knew Jesus, before we knew any better. Now we know better. And then in verse uh, 18, Peter once again in his word art is using this image, imagery of precious metals, uh, this case gold and silver, the most precious metals that they knew about in that time. And he's juxtapositioning this with a treasure that is truly precious. What is that treasure? It's the blood of Jesus himself. That is the true treasure available to us. And uh, we are bought back from an empty way of life with something that has infinite value that is our true treasure. And remember I talked about in previous weeks that Peter's word art is laced with this, all, this, uh, all kinds of imagery from the Old Testament. Uh, and this imagery here today that he uses is that of the sacrificial lamb without blemish. This is an image based on Leviticus 16. And uh, I think it's based on the Day of Atonement. But now we come to the treasure of Peter's teaching in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. That treasure is the holiness of God. But just as he who called you is holy, 
So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Um, so one of the things that I did in Tanzania as a missionary, I was going out and I would teach, and I would teach from First Peter this lesson, because they're coming out of a, an animistic mindset, and it's a spiritual system of oppression and manipulation where you have to appease ancestors or else you're going to have a bad income, a, a bad outcome. And you have to approach witch doctors to be able to mediate between you and God uh, or you and these spirits, the ancestor gods, uh, to be able to mediate um, that relationship. And so a lot of times there's not a concept of a morality based on the character of God himself. And so this, this teaching from First Peter was revolutionary to those Tanzanian Christians. Um, and they're coming from spiritual oppression. They're coming from all kinds of hardships. They're coming from lying, jealousy, manipulation, an honor-shame culture. They had all of this baggage, and we saw it in so many ways. Um, a loose sexual, sexual morality. Uh, it's very broken. Uh, the, the brokenness of family. There's so many factors that fed into this. But yet the call of God, it's so radical. And that word would come to them. I'd, I'd preach this in Sakuma. Bizagibela, kunguno nene nalinuela. Be holy because I am holy. It's not an easy call for us, it's, it's, but it's what we're called to. It's not easy because that holiness is perfection. It's perfection. We are called to perfection. And it seems impossible. That's why we need a, a new nature. That's why we need to be born into a living hope, to use Peter's language. Biza gibela, kunguno nene nalinuela. You like it when I speak Sakuma? <laughs> so confusing. So what is this holiness we're called to become? I need to say a few words about holiness. We always think of holiness as separate and apart, as distinctive, as holy holy other, can't be around sin of any kind. And I think for the most part that is correct, but I think holiness it has nuances that go beyond this, beyond this idea of setting apart. I liked what this author said, Scott McKnight, holiness cannot be reduced to separation or difference. At a deeper level, holiness means devoted. Holiness comes from deep devotion, devotion to God. Uh, so kind of, I'm just trying to think about how does the ways that I've thought about this in the past, and how do we use holiness as a way to kind of hide from God? So this is my scenario of a kind of stinking thinking that we have as Christians. 
We know that God is holy. He's pure. There's no sin, evil, darkness. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. God is holy, but Calvin's not. Because holiness cannot abide evil, and I have evil, God has to be necessarily separate from me. God is distant. God is far away. We use this kind of thinking as a way to hide from God, to hide from the implications of what he's calling us to. I can't do it. It's too hard. I can't be holy. He's just going to leave me alone here. You know, we never get to a point that we are beyond the reach of our God. Because God is holy, God is devoted. So nothing about your sinfulness, brokenness, or rebellion ever moves you beyond his reach. Nothing can dilute the purity of the holiness of God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You can't overcome light by trying to throw more darkness at it. If the light is there, the darkness is gone. The holiness of God can't be watered down. The holiness of God can't be tainted. Everywhere the holiness of God goes, it burns away the sin in us. It burns away everything that's broken in us. That's the power of holiness. See, the story of the holiness of God in Scripture, it doesn't mean that God is distant from us, is far away, and there's nothing that he can do to save us. The story of Scripture is of a God who pursues us. He's so in love with us, so devoted to us, that he's chasing us down. A God who redeems us, a God who knows exactly what to do with sin, who knows exactly what to do with brokenness, all the lies and the, 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 the stinking thinking that we give into. He knows how to handle that. See, holiness is a quality that Jesus displayed for us as well. And we know that Jesus was constantly around broken and sinful people. He was constantly in the presence of evil. And yet he never participated in it. He never gave into it. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise about the situations we expose ourselves to. We've got to be smarter than that. There are certain settings that I'm not going to be able to be like Jesus in, and I have to distance myself from those things. We have to be wise in that. But Jesus knew exactly what to do with the sin of people. Whether that person was a woman caught in adultery or a self-righteous person who was completely blind to their own need. So when Peter <clears throat> admonishes us to be holy as God is holy, absolutely that means that there are a lot of things that you're no longer going to do. But just because I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't date girls who do, that doesn't make me holy, necessarily. 
The call of holiness is a call to come out from and be separate from, from. Not so that we cut ourselves off from sinful people, but so that we can draw closer to God. To let his holiness burn apart everything in us that is not holy. That is the call to us. And the irony is, the closer you get to God, the more useful you're going to be to bring healing to other sinners. Holiness is a true power. Peter's point is, because I have been born into a living hope, born into a new nature in Jesus Christ, I can be holy because God is holy. That is our invitation. So holiness is more than a list of do's and don'ts. It has its do's and it has its don'ts. Don't get me wrong. But I am able to be holy because I've been given a new heart. And I have the power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten my heart, to teach me, to show me the ways I'm not holy to burn it out of me like gold refined in a furnace. See, it's, it's a pharisaic way of looking at things, our holiness. We do that sometimes versus having a right heart. I can try to do good and be holy because I know that God wants it, and I know that there's a list of things I need to do and keep it, and it, it's, it's a servant's way of thinking about things, a legalistic mindset. I do this, and I don't do this. But Jesus Christ is after more than just right behavior, a list of do's and don'ts. He wants to stop short of nothing but complete and total control of your heart. And if you have a heart that's right and it's in the hands of God, holiness flows out of that heart. So I might be able to avoid sin for a while because I know the Bible says this and I shouldn't do this and it's a list of rules that the Bible has against that. That might get me a certain place. But if I have the heart of a son, I want to do what makes my dad proud of me. The heart of a son wants to please his father. The heart of the son is going to be able to obtain a level of holiness and devotion that is wholly beyond someone who's just got a list of do's and don'ts. That's why Peter keeps referring to God as a father. That's why he talks about an inheritance. That's son language. That's daughter language. That's what's available to us in Christ Jesus. We all have difficulty living as consistently holy. But just because it's hard doesn't mean you should throw the standard away. 
do you give in to your former evil desires because you just seem to keep falling and messing up with it? Why People get disheartened. It's not easy. I get it. And when we get disheartened, it's just like, why do you even try? You stop trying, your conscience gets seared. New habits of just dark filth get in there. And then you hide them. You try to manage them. You try to suppress them. But they peek out. Because you don't have the heart of a son. Because you don't have the heart of a daughter. We can't give up this fight. We can't give up the high call to be holy because He is holy. That's who He is. That's what He offers us. I really like the way um, in the no- a book called The Knowledge of God, A.W. Tozer says it this way, We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. We must take refuge from God in God. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in His Son while He disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers of His holiness. I like the way He words that. You can't... Moses asked to see God. You can't see God and live because God is holy. The glory will just... So He hides in the cleft of the rock. Jesus is our cleft of the rock. And the cleft where when the glory of God, the holiness of God passes by, it purifies us. It heals us. It creates a new possibility and new hope, living hope in us. Peter goes on to finish this section with these words. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. He's, God is impartial. He's going to call it like it is, the reality of your life. And you're going to have to endure that. And reverent fear means that we never lose sight of just how much we need Jesus. You know, none of us are going to go strutting into heaven. Here I am, Lord. That was pretty good, don't you think? I don't think that's going to be in us anymore. That's going to be burned right out of us. But I tell you what, The blood of Jesus is just going to get more and more beautiful. The blood of Jesus is the true treasure that we are going to grow in appreciation for throughout eternity. It's it's just going to be going from one wow to another wow. Can you, wow. In the word art of Peter, once again, he's calling us to put on a different kind of clothing. Imagine yourselves not as settlers, but imagine yourself as a foreigner. 
a stranger, an immigrant. We're people who are not from around here. We're people who seem strange, not quite belonging, not quite in step with what's going on in the world around us. Because you are holy, it means that you're not trying to imitate the prevailing culture. You're not just trying to fit in. And true Christians are always going to be treated as unwelcome immigrants because we're living by a completely different standard. The problem that we run into, it's the reason why Peter writes this letter to first century believers. It's the same problem that we have in this room today. Is a lot of times you are trying to live your life like a settler instead of a an alien or a foreigner or a stranger. You're trying to set up permanence in a place that was never meant to be your home. A lot of people have settled in and adapted and adopted the filth of the culture around them. Gotten pretty comfortable with the the entertainment of the world the priorities of the world, the way we store up and hide and squirrel away and frivolously use wealth like the world, dabbling in the sexual perversion of the world. We live in a world where our God is our stomach, our priorities become about self-actualization, self-fulfillment, for me to be whole and complete. I need this. These are all the things that Peter calls an empty way of life. An empty way of life. And you know what, brothers, sisters, you guys are my friends. We have to be smart about this. We got to be smart about all the ways and the justifications and tricks that we play in our own minds trying to live as settlers instead of strangers. You got to be aware of just how comfortable you are. How you are not spiritually sober-minded. How you're not taking the knowledge and giving it over to God that you can live truly holy, holy lives. You've got to be aware and smart about your own propensity to play these games. That's why Peter commands us to gird the loins of our minds. We have to be sharp. We have to be focused and sober-minded. We can't afford to be cloudy-minded about all of our tricks and all of our justifications, all the games we play to settle in and get comfortable with the world. No doubt we will continue to have a weaning process, but the admonition of Peter is to holiness. Because not only is Holiness, an attribute of God our Father. There's real power available to us in holiness. Holiness is a power. So just, I was scanning through Peter's letter, different ways that he refers to 
the power of God at work in our lives and those who are seeking and, and trying to be holy. I know it's a wrestling match, but the more you lean into a, a solid and real attempt to live as a stranger, l- apply this stuff to your real life, it begins to produce a fruit all of its own. See, it's not just evil that grows on compound interest. Love of God, all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, holiness, those things also grow on compound interest. Because I live a holy life, I have a hope of a divine inheritance. That hope of a divine inheritance, it is a fuel for me to try to live a holy life. And it goes both ways, that. Those committed to holiness, they experience divine protection even through their trials, verse 5. Those committed to holy living revel in unfathomable, rubber baby buggy bumper, unfathomable joy, 1 Peter 1, 8. They receive God's commendation, 2.20. They enjoy God's favor, 5.5. They rely on God's care, 5.7. And count on God's strength, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. There's power in holiness. The closer we get to God, the more we're going to be able to undo the works of evil around us, to bring healing to those who are broken in, in the right ways. So, uh, Rob, you can come up. The invitation is, uh, we want, we, if there's any way we can serve you, you want to put the Lord on in baptism, if you want the prayers of this church, um, you'll have an opportunity to do that while we stand and sing. But there's an invitation here from this message too. Because not only is it power, holiness, holiness is also beauty. It's beautiful. Holiness is mesmerizing. We are invited into that as well. Our la- uh, one last quote before we uh, hand things over to Rob. To be conformed to the things of this world means to be surrounded by them. Even today, there are some weak-willed people who say that when they're in Rome, they have to do what Romans do. But whether they do this knowingly or in ignorance, the message here, the message of Peter is clear. We are to abandon this world and be conformed to the one who alone is truly holy, who is truly holy. Let's stand and sing together.